Hey everybody, welcome to Food Chain presented by Perfy. Today we've got a special show. I am actually going to switch seats and I'm going to be the guest guest. And I've got Kane Lewandowski here with me who has a bunch of great questions. And I decided that maybe today he would be the host of the podcast. Kane, welcome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually quite an interesting story about how you brought me on. We were actually just talking in LinkedIn, a couple of posts, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask Vasa some questions. And he was cool enough to invite me onto his podcast. And here I am taking control of his podcast and I'm going to be interviewing him. <laughs> I love it. Kind of worked out. I appreciate you doing this. Of course. So first of all, I mean, there was so much like absolutely like you bomb LinkedIn with value. You're constantly posting so many interesting topics about certain things. You talk about your business. You talk about how your goals in business, things like making money is important, right? Because of course, that's the point of a business. However, that's a byproduct for you. And that was something that I just deeply resonate with because your goal is to truly create a business that can make a positive impact, right? And everyone says, oh, I want to create something that will change the world. But this this is something that truly does that. And when I was just reading about Perfy and I was learning, it just, it blew me away. So on that post, of course, I asked a bunch of questions. So anyone that's listening, if you're trying to, you know, start up a, a brand, we're going to be picking Fasa's brain today. So one of the first things I've really asked was in a ballpark, how much would it cost to start around the ballpark, right? This is a difficult question simply because of the fact that each brand, each kind of business model is different. But for example, it's still good to understand kind of possibly you don't have to answer how much you have, right? But just a general idea of what other people could expect to invest. Yeah, I think it's going to vary by industry, right? Like for beverage, people had told me how expensive it was. I didn't quite get the taste of how expensive it was until I started paying some invoices. But I think there's ways <laughs> to do it very a lot cheaper, you know, like if I had to go back and try to save money, I still would do liquid beverage, even though it's hard to ship and expensive to ship. But I figure, you know, if you're shipping powders or if you're creating a powder, cost of goods might be a little bit cheaper. Cost of the packaging might be cheaper. So I think it's really going to depend if you're doing a cheese cracker, it's probably going to be cheaper, one ingredient, you know, and I've seen great stories out there of people who have built products in their home. A lot of people have created beverages with a soda stream and then commercialized it. I'm astounded by the folks that use a soda stream got the product going, sold it in farmer's markets and you know started saving cash that way. I had to do it a little bit differently. And I just wanted to learn from mistakes in the past, not necessarily that I've made. You know, I've worked with a, a lot of dope CPG brands in my career, and I wanted to take learnings from things that you should do and learnings that things that you shouldn't do. Um, so course. I applied those equally. And I ended up selling all of my crypto, all of my stocks, used all of my savings during the pandemic, right after the it was during the pandemic, but not season one of it, not 2020. It was 2021 where I said, I'm just going to empty all the coffers. I'm burning the boats and I'm going to do this. And um, I didn't raise any additional funds from people in my network until after I had something that I believed in. At first, it was like, wow. you're, go you're going down a dark path, like a positive one, but it's definitely, you can't see the future. And until I had something where I was like, shit, this is good. I, didn't start, <laughs> I started sending around bench tops and people said, hey, I want to be a part of this. So I won't answer specifically what I put in, but I will say that it was everything. Okay. That's a good answer because it's not, when it comes to starting up a business, it takes more than just money. It takes a massive commitment. 
you have to make sacrifices a lot of the time. Vasa is, he's the definition of an entrepreneur. So the word entrepreneur gets thrown around very often around the business space on LinkedIn, on all over social media. There could be a guy that, you know, he's in high school and then he like sells something, flips something, right? That's not entrepreneurship in my honest opinion, but making a risk like what you did, that's entrepreneurship. The definition of entrepreneurship is someone that takes on, literally, I I got the definition pulled up right here. Someone that can take on a greater than normal financial risks. Right. And that's what you did. You emptied out everything. And and it's really interesting. Out of what was kind of the scariest moment, if you've had one? (laughs) I think there's a couple. In November, I flew up to the Coman and there was risk that the, I think it was the cans weren't going to arrive in time. And if they didn't arrive in, in time, like the batch would have been out of compliance with the, what's it called, process authority. So mm-hmm. we made that work. The truck got there in the nick of time. And that was kind of scary because had they not, it would have been a lot of ingredient costs down the drain. If it's one penny, it's you don't want to be wasteful early on or really ever. So that was one that where it was a little bit of a, a scare, but relatively it could have been a, a whole lot worse. Another scare, actually, it came to life. You know, I, for some reason, I rushed through creating Perfy. I just had this, I guess, rookie error where I was like, I need to have this ready to bit by January. And the good news is R&D got three SKUs locked in delicious in four months, like from start. First time I chatted with them was February. They were the only R&D group to chat with me. Ended up signing them to a, a scope. And we knocked out three SKUs in four months. And then mm-hmm. I brought on the best ops team I can find. And they got the final formulations into cans within four months. And then with that, I was able to run a trial run where I can get feedback from people from a commercialized trial runs, not as scaled up as full on production, but just enough to send it out and get feedback from people in terms of the liquid. So the scare there was I rushed through the branding. So the label, I call it Perfy 1.0. <laughs> it wasn't as diligent in the approval process and the font was a bit tough to read. And it was a scare and it was one that actually came to life because we printed them. We had our f- first full production run with yellow cans that were tough to read, some brand architecture where it was, wasn't was too clear. But I think that scare is all part of the process. I think everyone's first production run, they're learning, they're listening to how customers talk about the product. They're learning about what the customer doesn't understand. So although it was a scare that came to life, it was one where I quickly fixed it. Our label 2.0 is absolutely remarkable. We know that people don't understand adaptogens and nootropics. So we labeled them right under the flavor name. The flavor name itself was tough to find on the first can. Now it's front and center on the bottom. So although it was a scare and although it was a little bit, quite a bit costly, like we were able to use those cans, we just sold out of all of 1.0 inventory and we're producing 2.0 in a couple of weeks. It was one where if you embrace it and are creative in your problem solving, when something like that happens, there could be less downside risk. Right. And that's crazy with, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure it was, that was scary. (laughs) Something funny. If you look up Perfy and you go into the images, this is a funny question. You'll see that there's a design here that says Dr. Perfy. What happened to Dr. Perfy? It's not Dr. Perfy anymore. It is. It just hasn't launched yet. Oh, (laughs) There you go. Yeah, and, I mean, there's some awesome designs. There really is. It's so cool. <laughs> I think the crypto market, like people that love crypto, they're going to look at this and they're going to be like, man, this is like dope drink. I mean, some of the designs you have, 
just really nice. I like the shark one. <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, I like the I like the guy in the shark. That's a cute one. There is a little bit of Web three action that going on. Before I had liquid in cans, I bought my Doodle NFT early December, and I was like, well, I own my Doodle, and I have limited you know commercial rights to it, and I own my soda company. I'm just gonna slap this Doodle on the soda. Ended up kind of going semi-viral on Twitter where everyone was reaching out saying, hey, can you put my doodle on the can or my board ape or whatever project? And we did several hundred of those. And we still have like a couple hundred DMs in the and on Twitter asking for artwork on cans. And ultimately when I bought that doodle, I knew that I was going to leverage the IP of it to the fullest extent. I didn't have the leftover cash to buy a board ape. And that was a little bit of the the only one that people knew of then. And I saw Doodle. I love the artwork. I love pastels. And I was like, this is the one. And I, I chose a, a female Doodle because Perfy is actually named after my mom. And I wanted to create a superhero in Web3 that was going around knocking full sugar soda cans out of people's hands and saving the mm. world from sugar and high fructose corn syrup. So the Dr. Perfy is actually the fourth flavor. It launches in three weeks, three, four weeks. And it's my rendition of the soda that everyone knows about it starts with doctrine and so it's something that my version of dr pepper i'll just say it fuck it <laughs> my version of dr pepper <laughs> better yeah so that's something really cool so you're talking about the nootropics right is that mm -hmm. what it's called okay yeah so what's the benefit of that exactly so albanian is great for focus it's great for blood pressure it's great for like a lot of things that people drink caffeine for except albanian doesn't really have a drop whereas caffeine does I still enjoy my caffeine. They actually go great together. L-theanine kind of works like a time release for caffeine. So early on, people ask me like, well, why don't you have caffeine and, and perfume? And I was like, well, I don't want to drink soda at night. That's going to keep me up. And it's just an issue that I think there is in soda. I want to mm. drink it at dinner. I want to drink it you know, instead of water before bed because it's so delicious. And I don't want to have any sort of ramifications of not being able to doze off. In fact, L-theanine actually helps you doze off at night. I just didn't want to mm. position it as a sleep soda. And then the uh, the adaptogens uh, vary by flavor. So Dr. Perfy and Fruit Punch is ashwagandha paired with L-theanine. And Blood Orange Yuzu and Tropical Citrus is turmeric paired with L-theanine. Turmeric's great for inflammation. People often take it in pill form, sometimes powder form, but um, there is an interesting taste with turmeric where if you take it by itself, it's, it's probably not as approachable as you'd want it to be. Uh, but we threw it in the citrus flavors because it does help with the, the color and it does help with, you know, it kind of blends in with the citrus flavors pretty well. And um, ashwagandha is great for fighting stress and anxiety. That's so awesome. One of the questions I actually asked you was, how did you manufacture? Do you contact food scientists? How did you, who did you talk to, to make this a reality? So I reached out a lot over, so back half of 2020 and the first month and a half, two months of 2021, I reached out to a bunch of people through contact forums, didn't know where to start. And a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people actually, you know, hit me back up and they didn't really seem too interested, especially with R&D. I knew that it was a product first. How do I make a delicious liquid? If I'm going to do a soda, it's got to be the best I could possibly get to. So the one R&D group, as I mentioned, that did reach out was my first choice based on asking different folks in the industry, like, who's the best R&D group? You know, at Quest, we did it all in-house. So I was always used to that when I was at Quest Nutrition. Never worked externally with one. And couple of people answered the same answer, same group. And I was like, okay, I'll reach out to them. They actually responded. They gave me the time of day. They knew that I was a solopreneur and they knew that they, they didn't know what was in the bank account. And I'm glad they didn't because I had, hadn't sold everything yet. And once I brought them on and once I agreed to that, I was like, all right, 
I know what this is going to cost. I know how much I need to empty out today. And I did it. So the first part to answer your question as concisely as possible is I Googled, I looked at LinkedIn and I asked friends and I knew that for me, my priority was R&D. That was the first step for co-manufacturing. That was part of the scope of R&D based on the food science that it takes to create Perfy. Who are the groups that are co-manufacturers that have equipment to manufacture Perfy? And that was on their end. And they vetted all of those commands for me. And we ultimately landed on one that I really like. That's so awesome. It really is so like interesting to me to see this whole process because one of the biggest problems that I've always thought about, like people that start off brands like this, you want to get into retailers, right? So how did you do that? You're going into shop right now. So how did you manage to land that one? Yeah, I got to take a step back for this one. So we talked about Perfy 1.0 and how I one of my mistakes was the label. So the slowest, the thing that's kept Perfy in almost a what's the word? Like a, we didn't move as fast as, or I didn't move as fast as I wanted to because I wanted to exhaust some inventory and I wanted to limit the amount of shelves that I exposed to 1.0. The shelves that were, are getting 1.0 are shelves where I think we'll do well. And so I wanted to wait to put on all the gas and the fuel on the sales engine until we have 2.0, which is next month where to me is really our launch. So to get into ShopRite though, it's all about finding the right partners. We have a, a couple of brokers on Perfy's team that I work with. And I want to provide value to anybody who's listening that really wants to have some key watchouts. I would advise trying to find brokers that don't have a retainer plus commission model. Typically brokers will have, here's our retainer. We've got to cover our costs. And then once we start getting sales, we take a commission. And then it's either like once the commission exceeds the retainer, then it's just commission. But either way, you're not going to land doors and make that retainer profitable, especially if you have a couple going at once. So my advice to anyone that starts up with brokers is try to not have a retainer. You want those fixed costs are extremely important to the business. And um, I learned that a couple months in and now I don't have any retainers um, on the sales side. Beautiful. Yeah. When it comes to most service-based businesses, it could be that it could, for example, I'm in marketing, right? So if anyone that doesn't know who I am, I do TikTok media buying for brands. I'm mostly in the beauty niche, uh, focusing on e-commerce and doing all that fun stuff, right? So I've talked to a lot of marketing agency owners. I've talked to a lot of people in the marketing industry. Some people will say, hey, you know, only pay on results. So like a commission basis, pay retainer only. Sometimes they'll even have like a retainer plus commission. So if you're really trying to, you know, land the best deals, try to talk to multiple people. Never go to the first marketing agency or first person and stick with them, right? Because they might sound good, but you might get a deal. So my point is shop around. You always get better deals if you're a little patient and if you do that. So to anyone listening with marketing, do that. So, okay. The next question is, since we're talking about marketing, might as well mention it, Olipop. So Olipop is also another soda can brand. And what do you think about them? They're all over TikTok, for example. So what are your thoughts there? I view them as an ally. If my mission is to cut cane sugar and high fructose corn syrup starting in the United States and eventually the rest of the world, I think that you need a group of Avengers who are superheroes in, in <laughs> the space. And although buyers and you know merchandisers and investors consider them competitors, I mean, you, it is the truth. Yeah, in a way, 100%. But we're both fighting towards the same goal. And I can't see why we couldn't be allies as well. When I was at Quest Nutrition, we were always looking for that next, you know, Quest Bar. Who was it going to be? It ultimately ended up being One Bar, and 
it doesn't hurt to have several people in the game. Olipop's got Poppy. I love the people at Poppy. And but they're all focused on gut health and they're doing their thing and they're doing a great job. For me, right. Perfy's strategically positioned to focus on the brain. And mm-hmm. even if it didn't have nootropics and adaptogens, it could just be a delicious low sugar soda that people can drink without raising their blood sugar or spiking their blood sugar. So that's how I feel about them. I think they're allies. I'm stoked to see Allulose in their latest product. And it's cool to see that they're switching from sparkling tonic to um, a new type of soda on the bottom of their can as their statement of identity. So it's just it's just cool to see them continuing to grow. And I, more than anything, I'm appreciative of them and Poppy for building this category and allowing incumbent or uh, challengers or other players like Perfy to come in and, and try to do their thing as well. You think at a very high level, the fact that you're like, yes, like realistically, they are technically competitors on paper. The fact that you see them as an ally really reinforces the fact that you're doing this primarily to make the world better and the money on the back end is a byproduct. So that's something just so incredibly awesome to hear about. And it's just one more time. It's just, it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, not a problem. So when it comes to software, this is another question I asked you, right? Mm-hmm. So because in software, you want to build a MVP, so minimum viable product you have. So it's basically like the absolute minimum just to show to other people, hey, this can work. This is what my product does. This is the problems it could solve. And once you have an MVP, you're able to actually do market research, test, and figure out how to improve your product, right? So kind of what's the process with creating a drink like Perfy? So were you at home mixing a bunch of ingredients? And then you were like, oh, like, how did it happen? I definitely didn't create Perfy from home. Again, went to the R&D <laughs> group. I did experiment. I've always experimented with uh, like mineral, like sparkling mineral waters and fresh fruit juices just to get my sugar down on that. I used to live in Hermosa Beach and there was this coffee shop called Java Man. And I'd always get their uh, Italian mineral sparkling water and a fresh orange juice. And I'd mix them to kind of adjust the sugar level. So that idea has always been there. That was in like 2011, 2012. And then there was a, a drink called Spindrift that came out. I feel like they came out in 2015, but maybe I just didn't know about them till then. And hadn't really thought of it like as though I did the R&D myself. Not at all. I just had an idea and I had guardrails. I provided those to R&D. But to your point on a minimum viable product, I think both in, in software and in consumables, there's a step before that, before you need, need to even really invest tons of money in getting that MVP. I've seen people build up websites and drive traffic to it to see what words resonate before they even get to an MVP to see if there's even anything there. Everyone's job as startup is to find product market fit. And typically they don't, they say that until you reach hundred thousand dollars in sales, you don't have it. So there's folks that try to not fabricate, but to see if there's even a possibility of it before they even launch a physical or software, physical product or software. I didn't do that. I tried going for maximum viable product. What's the most delicious beverage I can Mm. make? And how quick can I get it out there and get feedback? Although it was expensive, the expense today saves me, I don't even know how much money tomorrow. I think there's just different operators and different ways to go about it. But the way that I wanted to go about it was how do I get the best beverage today and then learn cans and hands tomorrow? Ultimately, that will give me a leg up. One thing I've been told every show that I've gone to is that Perfy is punching above its weight, that nobody believed that we're two months old or three months old or four, and now we're five months old. So the goal was just to put the best possible product out there. Yes, there was going to be mistakes, but how quickly can I learn from them? And how can I mitigate that expense of having those mistakes in the first place? Mm. 
That's really interesting. I love that MVP to be maximum viable product. That's really cool. So something interesting that you mentioned before. So you had a post go semi-viral on Twitter and you still get DMs to this day. So how about your marketing? So if you're in a store, how do you kind of position yourself as, how do you attract eyeballs? How do you get people to try your product type of thing? Yeah, so I've been in marketing for about a decade now. And the, one of the winning strategies that I've always been a part of or that I've led is building online demand and calling into action in store. And Perfy is by no means like a, a D2C beverage brand. I always say this, I've never seen a successful D2C beverage brand that ships liquid. The only one close to that is Hint Water. And I don't have the resources to be a, a Hint Water today. I've got to be very, very mindful of how I get product in people's hands. Or in other words, how do I acquire a customer without running ads? So building on online demand for the past five, six months. And to be honest, I started talking about Perfy in May of last year after three months of figuring things out, only one month of R&D. I knew that I had to build in public because I don't have, and I don't have the resources to overspend on advertising and marketing. So I've just been chatting about it for over a year now since we've launched. There's a natural product that's able to be purchased. So that's been helpful. People from Twitter and people from LinkedIn have been buying the product. Organic social has driven all of the sales so far, or I would say most of the sales outside of wholesale. We do have about 80 retailers or 80, 80 doors right now. So how I think about it is again, online demand, call to action in store. And the reason for that is most people, when you're spending dollars to try to acquire a customer, don't want to spend 35 bucks on a 12 pack of soda. They don't know if they'll like it. And regardless of me having a 100% satisfaction guarantee and refunding people personally, like they don't want to take that risk. And that's where retail comes into play. I call it digital to retail. How do I perk their ears? How do I make them want to try it and then be where their attention's at in store? And now when people ask in New Jersey and New York, where can I find you? I could drive them to the store locator and they can go pick up at ShopRite. Same with Chicago, DC, Dallas. Now we're at Foxtrot. So that's the strategy for me is building online demand, perking people's ears, creating a significant amount of trust first and foremost. And then once they see us on shelf, they'll be like, I know that brand and they'll feel comfortable and the ice will have already been broken metaphorically. And that's absolutely genius. Because a lot of the time, a lot of companies will have a product and then they'll just dump everything into ads. So something I've been seeing very often, I've been, so I've been in marketing for six years in e-commerce specifically, but something I've seen from a media buyer standpoint is a lot of brands have the thought process. This used to be effective, but nowadays it's not as effective as it used to be of let's just get conversions up front and then hope that they come back later on. Yeah. It does not work like that. Guys, if you're a brand, if you are a marketing person, you need to understand that the most important thing you need to be doing right now is building a community. A community has the biggest ROI, right? Because if you spend, for example, let's say you invest $10 into running an advertisement and now you get someone to buy your product, right? For $20, but you don't have any, you don't have a relationship with them. Maybe they don't follow you on TikTok. Maybe they're, you're not, you don't have a personal relationship. Maybe they're not on your email list, your SMS list. Most likely they're not going to come back unless you get lucky, right? So a lot of the time you have to be focusing on building relationships. And this is something that you explain incredibly well. So it's awesome. I'm actually looking up at the moment because I really wanted to see the closest one. So I'm in New York, right? I'm mm -hmm. on Long Island. The closest Perfy is eight miles away. But the moment nice. <laughs> that I get off, 
I'm going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Call in first and make sure we're there. That's a, a CX thing because you never know if they're out of stock or they didn't stock us that day or whatever the case may be. Just yeah, call in first. But okay. I'm here, I'm here for yeah, the perfect. Of, <laughs> I mean, of course, it's actually quite annoying because I was literally just there. <laughs> Which is Mission Nutrition? Literally just there. No, I, I was I was there around. So this place is in Hicksville, New York. And I was literally just in Farmingdale, like a town, like literally two towns over. So super close. So I uh, I could have gone and could have gone myself. No um, but anyways, not a problem. I'll make the drive. My next question to you is going to be what type, where did you learn? What's your background? Right. So this is kind of like multiple questions in one, because you're obviously in order to build a business, you need to first have some sort of idea. You need to be thinking about what to do. But a lot of the time, a lot of people will have, for example, some type of influence. So my question is really, who influenced you? It could be from books. It could be authors. It could be Gary V. Who had an influence on you? Yeah, I got two people that influenced me the most. The first is seeing my mom work every day to raise eight kids. I'm the youngest of eight. Wow. And the way she managed her money to be able to support that was the foundation. But I didn't learn that until after college, until I had to work three jobs during the 2007, 2008, 2009 recession. And when I worked at three jobs, I was like, ah, this is what my mom had to do to, to make things work. So that gave me the foundation for everything that came after that. Then I worked in a, before I was in marketing, I worked at a bar and nightclub in Hermosa Beach. And that work ethic really took me far. And I was able to, at that point, at that, in that location, attention to detail is everything. You know, you could get written up for a, an electrical candle going out or running out of battery. So that mm. was a second component that really, I think, set the foundation for me. Once I got to Quest, then I was just a sponge. I took the Quest job as an unpaid intern. I didn't get paid for a couple months. I was still working in the bar to make ends meet. But while I was there for four years, there was no instance of me not taking it as a learning experience. So everything, whether it was good, bad, or different, it was a learning experience for me. And how do I put that in my brain? And how do I put that in the hard drive to make sure that this helps me in the future? Late nights, working weekends if I had to, still had fun back then. But that was super helpful. Then after Quest, I started my marketing agency and working for probably 50 to 100 brands since 2017, some really great food and beverage brands, some of the fastest growing in the country. I was able to learn more. And I've got two different criteria for clients that we work with. Do they solve a problem with their food and beverage, food or beverage? And two, can I learn from them? And can I learn from them is split in two. Can I learn good habits from them or can I learn bad habits from them? And again, that goes back to being ah. a sponge. And once I had enough, what I call reps under my belt, I felt ready enough to, again, empty the coffers, burn the boats and start my own. But it was a combination of working hard, working long, working smart, always being a sponge, always treating everything as a learning experience. And then how do I apply that to my own business? And that's probably what set me up so far. That's beautiful. There's another really big agency, especially in the food and beverage industry is adam brown circle media he's also mm -hmm. in new york city he's, so he's pretty close to me i see his content all the time he's always talking with uh mark a samuel yep from oh man I, did it really have to leave my brain right now i want i want organics right all the time and they just provide so much value constantly talking about things and something i've noticed is in people that are successful or at least entrepreneurs provide value. I've noticed that this is something I've noticed not too long ago. 
but it's I think it's really interesting to share. Gary V. You see the guy almost everywhere. And he's he's super successful. He gives so much value away. It's crazy. And it's truly, really interesting. And something I just wanted to make that point. <laughs> I'm like stuttering on my thoughts right now. Uh-huh. Something really interesting is you said you wanted you got investors. So were they from family and friends or were they like actual and like accredited investors, for example? Well, they're all they're all eligible to invest. Some are people I worked with in the past, some own businesses with they had some cash on the side. One of my close friends had a group of friends uh, in Vegas that really bought into the product. They tried it. They at that, I mean, when you're early on, you're investing in the founder. I just happen to have a product right. again, going back to the maximum viable product. I had a drink that was delicious and that was different to them. And that paired with my track record and my experience made it somewhat easy for them to part with that cash and invest in a something like Perfy. Um, <laughs> right, right now, I'm also uh, closing that angel round. So got more people coming on board, having a lot of calls. It won't be an institutional VC or anything like that during this angel round. I want to keep it as an unpriced round because, yeah, as I mentioned, with 1.0, I had to put my foot on the brakes a little bit and go right. fast by going slow. So once I get mm. these, once I have a line of sight to be profitable in my first year as a beverage maker, and once I hit that, then I'll go with the price round with an institutional VC. Yeah, that's the saying, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That's exactly yeah. what you uh, you did. So Vasa, thank you. I mean, I've asked you so many questions. You've answered them to an amazing you provided so much value, so much information, and I, I genuinely appreciate talking to you. Of course. Those are great questions. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for this episode of Food Chain presented by Perfy. Kane, I want to thank you for being our guest host today. You did an incredible job, and I'm very, very appreciative of you taking the time. Thank you, Vasa. No, it was absolutely lovely. I love talking to you. I love just learning about people's businesses, their stories, and just what makes you, you. So thank you so much. Likewise, man. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you.